Top of the morning to you. I'm Pastor Steve O'Steary. Oh, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning with us. Pastor Kevin and Sally are away at a conference this weekend. I'm Pastor Steve and uh, one of the pastors on staff here. Glad to be filling in and part of this great worship service. And didn't the worship team do a great job of leading us into worship and, and just, yes, yeah, what a great... If you've been here, if you've been here the past few weeks, the past eight weeks actually, you've been here as we've been on a journey, actually walking through what, what theologians would call redemptive history. Redemptive history is the story of God redeeming his people, starting at creation, starting at creation and going all the way through to today. And so we've been, we've been on this journey of creation and we've seen the fall and we've seen everything that has happened to man. And, and theologians would tell us that the culmination, the culmination of redemptive history is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the culmination. And I don't know about you, but I love Easter. I love coming to church on Sunday morning knowing that we are worshiping a risen Savior and he's in the world today. Amen? Amen? Jesus Christ is alive and we come and, and this, this, this drama that has been playing out over centuries, over millennia, this, this drama of, of Christ and, and God and his story has culminated in Jesus Christ and his coming and his sacrifice for you and for me, taking, not even thinking about it, just, just Colossians tells us too, says he, he took on a, the form of a man, even though, even though that would be so humbling, even though that would be so disgraceful to a God, but he did it and he did it for you and for me and he came and he gave his life. But that's not the end of the story. It's the culmination, but it's not the end. And, and this week and last week, we heard the story that, Jesus had to leave. He said, I can't stay here forever. This is not my home earth. In fact, I gotta leave, I gotta go back, I gotta go to my father. He says, but I'm not gonna leave you orphans. I'm gonna send you a helper, a comforter, a spirit, a teacher, a guide. And that, that guide will guide you and direct you and he will lead you even though I'm gonna be gone. And he will live inside you and he will be the light that will guide and direct you. And so, and so we have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us, but there's a message that needs to get out. This redemptive story that has been played out over centuries now has to be given. It needs to be heard. It needs to be told. And that is where we come in. In fact, today is our place in this story. This has been history. It's fact. It's history. But today, as we celebrate the church, as we say, what now, God? We step onto the stage. This is our time and our place. This is where we fit into the story. Are you ready to take up your part? This is where God says, I need you over the next hundred years, over the next thousands of years, I need you to do the work of the church. In this story that has been played out, we are the players now. It's our turn. It's no longer Moses and Abraham. It's no longer these characters of the past. It's us, and it's our time. And we step in to where others have stepped now for thousands of years. We have a rich history. We celebrated part of the traditions of that history this morning. But it's our time. 
It's our time. It's our time to celebrate, to worship, to participate, to tell the story, to be the church in the world around us. The church that Jesus established. In fact, it probably, it might not have been, believe it or not, a day too much unlike today. I always, I always guess when I think of stories of Jesus, I always think everything happening when it's 80 degrees and sunny. But this story is in Matthew chapter 16, and it says that Jesus and his followers had just arrived in the region of Caesarea Philippi. I actually went on the international weather this morning to see what the weather was like in Caesarea Philippi today. Caesarea Philippi is just a little north of the Sea of Galilee. It's in what we, the region we now know as Syria, and the high today is 54 degrees in Caesarea Philippi. So I don't know what time of year this story was, and I don't know how warm or cold it might have been, but so, so as you're imagining the story, maybe you're imagining them instead of, like I always imagine it, with 80 degrees. It's, this, this is with coats on, and I don't know how it's going, but Jesus is sitting around, and, and he's talking, and this is the steer version of, of, of the story. Uh, Jesus is sitting around, and he's got his followers, and he goes, you know, I... You know, guys, I, I know you have your ears to the, to the ground. I, I know you're hearing the rumors. You're hearing the stories. And I, I'm just curious. I'm curious, kind of curious what people are talking about, what they're saying. You know, they've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen him do other miraculous works. They've heard these teachings. And he's getting quite a reputation and so, and so I'm, Jesus, I'm here, he's, I'm sure he's saying, what are, they, what are they saying about me? But he asks the question a little different way. He says, who do they say that I am? Who do they say that I am? His followers are around him, and, and of course, Peter, as he always does, chirps up. Well, first of all, they say, well, let's see, some are saying you're John the Baptist, you know. Some are saying you're Elijah. Some are saying you're Jeremiah. And some are saying you're some of the other prophets. Just, we're not real sure who you are. And then Peter chirps up and he says, after Jesus replies, who do you say that I am? He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. What a moment. We call this the confession of Peter, the confession of Christ of Peter. Because this is the time where I think probably heaven stops for a minute. And the angels kind of, whoa, what did I hear? What did I hear? I think they got it. I think they got it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus' reaction to that is interesting. Jesus' reaction is not, <laughs> Peter, high five, you got it. Boom, you know, you know, no chest bumping here, you know, nothing, nothing, no, no elbow bumping or anything like that. Uh, no party. Hey, you got it right. Jesus' answer, reply is not, go, oh, that's God, you got it, go in peace. Jesus' response is, first of all, you didn't hear this from anybody else, I know that. It was God who revealed it to you. You got it from God the Father. But then he says this, Peter, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, Verse 18, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus at this point establishes his church. He says, and he says, you cannot separate the confession that I am Lord from I'm gonna build my church. 
In fact, I see two or three things as we look at this scripture. The first one I see is, what is church? What is that word? That word church in the Greek is ekklesia, ekklesia, ekklesia. And it's, it's a word that actually doesn't mean a whole lot other than a gathering of people, a gathering of people. But it's used 114 times in the New Testament, this word. 114 times this word is used in the New Testament. And you know what? Never once, never once is it referring to a building. Never once is the church thought of as a building. That's interesting. When Jesus heard the confession of Peter and said, I'm going to build my church, he didn't say, so go, let's go get an architect and let's go get a, a contractor and let's go get an electrician and let's go get an HVCA person and let's do all this and, and let's build a church. It's not what Jesus said. When we look at Ecclesia, we see that the church it's always people. Of those 114 times that it's used in the New Testament, twice, twice it's actually referring to a gathering of God's people in the Old Testament. You see the thread all the way through this story. God is working. In fact, it's referring when God called a people, a people out. God called a people out, a gathering of his people. He called to Mount Sinai. Let's gather. Let's ecclesia. If, if you read the, the, the um, Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it refers to it. It says, in Ecclesia, we come together. It's a gathering. So two times it refers to the Old Testament. Three times it just refers to a gathering, a public gathering. Nothing religious about it. We are called out to vote, a business meeting. That's a gathering of people. And that's how it's used, typically used in the Greek language and used at that, at that time. But 109 out of 114 times, it is used as a gathering of God's chosen people, a gathering of the believers. They come together and they don't have to meet in a building. Our daughter lived in Hawaii for two years. They met in a tent. Rick Warren, he's known for starting his church in a tent. Robert Schuller started his or met for a long time in a drive-in theater. You don't need a church building. One of our early French churches, French churches that started a church plant down in Atlanta, Georgia, it was, it was actually pastored by one of my former pastors. They met in a funeral home. If you need more people, bigger attendance, you just went out back and, no, never mind. <laughs> that was a new, all new, uh, I guess new understanding of a dead congregation today, right? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, we'll stop. Uh, yeah. When I was at Malone, my second time when I went back, I developed some friendships with some of the people who were going through the program. And there was actually a church in not too far from the Youngstown area that actually had started a church plant, a, a, a separate church, a, a part of their church that they were going out. That, but that church that started, they started met in a bar. They said, we know some people that won't come into this building but they're more than willing to go into the bar. And so the guy who was taking our, our classes with us, he was the pastor, he was, he, he was under the authority of his church, but he was leading Sunday morning worship, a gathering of the believers in a bar. We don't need to have the walls around us. God's people, when we come together, we are the church. That's the one thing I see in this. Another thing I see in that, in that scripture is it says, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Another thing I see in this is that it is established by Christ and it belongs to Christ. 
This, the church that we worship in, the church that we are a part of the body of believers of, the church of God is, is not my church. It's not no leader's church. It's not a pastor's church. It's not an elder's church. It's not even your church. The church of God is his church, and he will build it. And this church is precious to him. If he builds it, you know when you build something, you know how precious it is to you. You know you, it, you, you care for it. You love it. But Christ goes even beyond that. Look at, listen to these verses. Ephesians 5, 25. says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. That's how much Christ loves this church. That's how much he, 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 is, he is consumed by his love for you and for the body of Christ, the people who together believe on his name. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. It is his body. We are part of the body of Christ. And that's, all, and that's through the New Testament too. We see we are part of the body. When we are the church, we are part of the body of Christ. You cannot separate the body from the head. You can't separate the body into pieces and have it function. If we are part of the church, we are part of Christ. And I love, I love, I love this quote from Charles Colson from his book, The Body. Look at this. He says, when we confess Christ, when we confess Christ, God's response is to bring us into his church. We become part of his called out people. We become part of that ecclesia. When we become followers of Christ, we become members of his church. And get this, this is what blow, blew me away. And our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment, thank you, our commitment to him. Our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to him. One more time, our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to him. You might have to stop and think about that a second because the church at times has had a rather, well, not so great reputation. The church has taken some black eyes over the years. The church sometimes does not act like the body of Christ. But if it is the body of Christ and if God loved him, God loved it so much and Christ loved it so much that he gave himself for it, and we cannot separate the body, then I believe Colson's right. Our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to him. And you say, well, you know, over the years, the church just isn't what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> uh, it's really been, in fact, look at things over the last few years, the church. Well, you know, the church has never been perfect. When we read the rest of the scriptures and some of these books at the back of your Bible, they're letters. They're letters from Paul, mostly. And he's writing to churches. And he's writing to churches not because things are going well, not because things are perfect. He's writing to churches because they're a lot like we are. They lose their way sometimes. There's people in them. There's no perfect church. But I hate to tell you this, but this is not a perfect church. If it was, you blew it when you invited me. <laughs> it's no longer. <laughs> it's no longer. We're not perfect. But the commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to Christ. 
When Paul wrote Galatians, they were legalists. They were trying to get everybody to do all these things that weren't necessary. When he wrote Colossians, these were folks that were embracing heresy, false teachings. And he says, hey, I got to write to you. You're getting off track a little bit. When when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, they, they were just living carelessly because they didn't understand. They didn't understand when Christ was coming back and that they had to live holy lives. Corinthians, they were a mess. The church at Corinth, there was incest, lawsuits, fighting, pride. They couldn't even get taking the Lord's table right. And Paul has to write and says, God loves you. God loves his body. And we need to get this right. But that doesn't change our commitment to the church. Finally, the third thing I see, and I see this again in looking at that verse, Matthew 16, 18. The church will triumph. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In the end, in the end, and next week, we're going to hear a little bit about the finale of this story. But in the end, the church will triumph. We may not win all the battles. In fact, I was looking this week. I I picked up my book, uh, the Fox's um, Book of Martyrs. Started reading about some of the martyrs who have given their lives for Christ and the church because they're indistinguishable. I started reading, wow, there's been a lot of battles that have been lost. I went to Christianity Today and and I, I, I did some research and they estimate, Christianity Today estimates that 160,000 Christians per year lose their lives as martyrs. I read earlier from Justin, and it's the apology of Justin Martyr because he was beheaded in around 165. Christians down through the years have suffered for the church and for Christ. But in the end, when we read the rest of the story, the church will prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against it because when Jesus Christ conquered death, he conquered it once and for all. The gates of hell have nothing to offer but death and destruction. And we have life. We have liberty. And Christ has promised that. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I wonder, what, in, what is our role? How as the church, how do we function? What are we to do? And, and I started doing some research and, and, you know, I found different people and there's a, the purpose of the church. What's your idea of the purpose of the church? And I kept coming back to three main objects, three main functions that the church must have according to scriptures. Our three duties, and they were summarized best by Wayne Gruden in his, in his systematic theology. Systematic theology is simply just kind of taking down and orderly laying out the doctrines of the Bible. And when you get to the doctrine of the church, Wayne Gruden's had these three doctrines or these three philosophies. The first one, the purpose of the church is to minister as our ministry to God in worship. The church's purpose is to minister to God. That was what we were doing this morning. We come together in worship. And it's not for us. It's, I mean, yeah, we get uplifted. We get pumped up and it's great. But our, our, the church gathers because God has called us together and give glory to him. And we give glory to him through, through, through 
prayer and praise and, and we give prayer, pr- glory to him through worship and music and listening. And listening to these words that Paul wrote to the Colossian church in ch- ver- chapter three, verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. See, this is what the church is to be doing. Dwell, we're supposed to be in the word of Christ. We're supposed to be admonishing one another. We're supposed to be singing psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs and teaching and all with a thankfulness of heart. Good job this morning. I think we did that well. Praising God. He's so good. And we worship together. The second purpose of the church is the ministry to believers in nurturing. We minister to God in praise and worship, but we got to minister to each other. How tragic it would be for someone to come in and, and experience God and, and, and read the Bible but say, I know nothing, I don't understand this, and you leave them there. No, the ministry of the church is to say, hey, let me explain this to you. Let me teach you about it. Let me help uh, you be a better follower of Christ. We want to nurture each other. Again, Paul in Colossians says this, him Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to take care of you. We want you to be a, a mature follower of Christ. So not every wind of doctrine that comes do you follow, but you go what the truth is and you follow the truth. The third one is the purpose of the church, ministry to the world, evangelism. And I like what Gruden added, it's not everybody does. He says, and mercy. It is the church's role over these thousands of years to get the word out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our job is to evangelize. In fact, in fact, Matthew 28, 19 says, go make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. And then finally in Luke 6, he says, but love your enemies. This is, this is the mercy part. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend. Expect nothing in return. Your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We're to be ministers of mercy even to those who despise us. Be merciful, even as the Father is merciful. At Friends Church here, we believe those things. We believe those are the three functions, the three purposes of the church. We just happen, if you've noticed, to put them in a little different languages, a little different words. You see the purpose of the church of worship, the purpose of the church in nurture, the purpose of the church in evangelism and mercy. Well, worship, we call gather. The church gathers and that's part of the first part of our strategy. And you've probably seen that. You've heard it. It says, I wonder if that has any theological underpinning. Yes, it does. We gather together because that's our responsibility to minister to God. The second one is, is in nurturing. It's grow. We gather in our growth groups to, 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 be, to be matured, to learn. We grow. And finally, our ministry to the world and evangelism and mercy is, anybody know? Go. Go. We gather, we grow, and we go. You see, these things that weren't just thought of by somebody in a back room. It was just something that, a, that an elders council came up with. But it was something that in studying and saying, what is the purpose of the church? Yes, we see the purpose of the church, and we'll just put them in some new words, some words that are easy to understand, some things you can remember. Gather, grow, go. Gather, grow, go. Gather, grow, go. You got it? Gather, grow, go. We got it. 
All right. So when just, I just in closing, how do we do this? How are we to be the hands and the feet of Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he talks about so many times, we talked about being the body, being the body of Christ. And he gives us some great examples in the scriptures. And one is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to these verses. It says, all of you together are Christ's body. All of you, you're Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Here are some, not all, some of the parts that God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, teachers, miracles, healers, uh, helpers, those in leadership, and those in unknown languages. And leave that there a second, uh, Nathaniel, because this isn't the whole list. If you go look in Romans 12, you see servers, encouragers, givers, people who can show mercy. The list goes on and on of where you can step onto their stage. You can be part, you can be part of the play. You're, you are now taking your part in God's story because you're the church and you're doing this. And then he goes on in the rest of that passage. He says, are all apostles? Nah. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all have the power of miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? No, no, no. Do all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? No. Do all have the ability? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. What is most helpful? What can you do? Where is your part? When you step onto the stage, this is our time. If we don't do our part, who will? This is our time as the church. This is our time to step up. History has revealed to us God's plan. And now he said it's up to you. You are the characters. You are the ones. It's in your hands. If you don't do it, nobody will. Matt Deaver is a pastor. He's written a lot about the church. And he says this, the church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together by serving him in this world. Our, we are called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him through serving him in this world. It's our time. We have stepped into the play. The call is to take your place. Next weekend has been mentioned. Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. We're going to have an Easter musical. And just down this hall in our activity center is going to be a great mass of people out in the audience waiting for this presentation. The script's been written. The props are in place. The lines have been memorized. And the music's been rehearsed. What a tragedy if when the director says, curtain up, no one shows to do their part. How awkward would it be with the audience filled those who were called left the stage empty.
Church of Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, you may be seated. We just got a few other things to cover real quickly before you go. I guess now's the ask. Um, we talked about being the church and taking your t place on stage. I'm certainly glad these guys started, decided finally to show up and play for us. But in here is a sheet and it says, we have some needs. We are a growing church and, and with growth comes needs and we need help. And so you need help. We need help. First impressions. You know, we have the same three guys that do our parking every week, all around the, every year, or every, every day, every Sunday. We need help with parking on Sunday morning. If you'd love to be out in the parking lot, if you can help keep people safe, if you can be a greeter, just say hi. If you can be an usher, Saturday, we really need Saturday night people. We need Sunday people. If you can be a connect, what's a connect? That's what I do. I stand out at the guest services, and when you ask me questions, I say, I don't know, ask Lynn. <laughs> That's all you got to do. I don't know, ask Lynn, you're, you're, you're there. Or you can be one that takes people. If someone's new, help take them to a class, their children to a class. That's connect. You see our children's student ministries growing just gangbusters, but we need more people. We have those needs in there. Our media, Gus, he's, boy, he could use more people on our sound, our light, our, our words, and, and even during the week. We'd love to have you do that. And our local go, reaching out. We're nurturing, we're taking care of ourselves, but we also want to reach out in the world. And you see those, those ministries listed there. You're not signing up for sure, but if you could mark this, if you could put your name on it, there's a table out in the back and they'll get you information. They'll get you more information about it and say, yeah, you can do this. We'd love to have you, but you're not committing to a lifetime. You're not even commitment to next week or anything like that. You're just finding out more information. If you're new in the church, this is only your second or third week and you say, I'd like to get involved. You can be a greeter. You can be out of guest services. You can, you can do things. We'd love to have you do it. And so please, Please. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, no. We need your help. We need your help. Finally, just the, another things that are in there. Don't forget, we did, this week, we did um, the Lord's Table. Next week, the other sacrament of the church, a celebration of new life, a celebration of those who have committed their lives to Christ, baptisms. You can sign up for that if you haven't yet. Everything that's coming up, you see the egg extravaganza and the musical. I will just say this, on Easter Sunday, we will have three services to, uh, to try to give everybody as much room as possible, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. 9.30 and 11, well, everything will be as normal, all the children's. At 8, 8 o'clock, we'll just be limited up through preschool for children, but we'll have those, and you can come, and you can worship, and hopefully we'll have plenty of space for everybody. Well, it's been good to worship with you this morning. 
Lord, uh, it's good to worship. It's good to have fun in worship. It's good to rejoice, to be here with a heart of thanksgiving, to give praise and honor to you. And Lord, we just ask now that as we go, that Lord, we just wouldn't think of this as the end of our service or the end of our, our, our duty as a Christian or duty as the church. But Lord, as we go out into the world, that we be salt, we be light. And the Lord, we would nurture and we would, we would care for those. And Lord, we would bring blessing even to those who despise us because we are the church. For your people. It's so good to be called and to have our time on the stage for these few years. Lord, I thank you and bless each one and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. We got banana, we got banana.